Well, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad. We are so glad that you chose to worship with us, especially on this holiday weekend. Looks like we have a great crowd here on site. I know we have a bunch of people worshiping in our modern hymn service right now as well. But I know on a weekend like this, we probably have a lot of people traveling and joining us online also. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. I just saw online that we have the Summers family in Houston that's watching right now. We have Sally in Destin, Florida. We have Ashley in Grand Lake and a whole other host of people, a whole bunch of people watching. So welcome. So glad that you guys are worshiping with us wherever you are and staying in touch with our, with our church family. And today, I just wanna say how much I love our church. I really do. We're not a perfect church and no church is because we're made up of people, but we are a church that tries to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And I just have so much fun being part Part of this church family. And this week on social media, I saw one of the moms in our church posted this video of her little boy. They were at some event in a downtown and there was a statue there that he thought was real or alive. And so she filmed this whole thing and I asked if I could show it, share it with you guys. And she said, yeah, sure, go ahead and show it. So here it is. Take a look at what happened. Let's go check it out. Okay. I think it's just a statue. Don't touch it. Hey. I love his reaction, like, you know, immediately when the guy moved, that's great. And besides his reaction, I also like, you know, his perseverance, because he's like, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to figure this out for myself. And honestly, that's what this series, Upstream, is all about, because there are a lot of voices in our culture today that are telling us different things, and God wants for us to understand his truth, for us to seek his truth for ourselves and know what is right and know what is wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we know that there is absolute truth. And that truth comes from the source of all truth, the creator of life, God himself. In fact, listen to this statement that God makes. He says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. He says that in the book of Isaiah because he wants us to know he created life. He is the, the sustainer. He is the designer of life. And because of that, he knows what is best for us. And if we will listen to him, then we will find out how to live the life that he created us to live. But it's important that we keep coming back to him because in a world that is full of so many different and conflicting views about everything, we've got to keep going back to the source of all truth. And that is God himself, because God is truth. Jesus plainly says this. Listen to what he says in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he says, if you follow me, if you listen to my teachings and live them out, then you will be set free from all the lies of this culture and this world that have a tendency to hold us hostage. I mean, listen to what Jesus says in John 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, if the truth is able to set us free, then the opposite is also true. Lies have the ability to hold us hostage. 
And that happens a whole lot in our culture because Satan loves to spread lies that pull us away from our true north, that pull us away from the truth that God wants us to live by. And so in this series, we're gonna be talking about some difficult subjects, some controversial subjects that people talk about in our culture a lot, but that sometimes the church is afraid to talk about because we don't wanna offend anybody. And we're afraid of what some people may think. And we know that what the Bible teaches sometimes isn't the popular opinion, but we feel like that we need to be a church that teaches the whole counsel of God. And so this series, I've kind of compared it to a bag of trail mix. Anybody like trail mix, like to add as a snack? Yeah, my family, kids and Allison, they love trail mix. But here's the thing, my kids don't like the raisins. They like everything else in there but the raisins. And so they will pick out the nuts and the almonds, the M&Ms and whatever else in their chocolate chips. They'll pick it all out and they'll leave the raisins behind. And so if you come to the bag after they've been through it, you're gonna get a bag full of raisins, okay? And that's how they eat trail mix. And so if you ask them, do you like trail mix? Yeah, I love it. Well, they like part of trail mix, but not all of it, right? And sometimes that's how we treat God's word. We pick and choose the things out of it that we like, that we enjoy talking about, but we leave some of it behind. And that might be okay when it comes to raisins and trail mix, but it's not okay when it comes to God's word because God's word is supposed to nourish us. And if we don't get a healthy diet of God's word, then we will be spiritually in trouble. It's just like if you were to put dessert before my kids and you put that right beside their meal at the same time, you said, you get to pick which one you wanna eat. Guess what they're gonna fill up on? They're gonna fill up on dessert because kids love dessert. Adults love dessert for that matter, right? It reminds me of this little boy whose mom told him not to touch the dessert, not to touch the cake until after he eats his food and look at what he did at this church gathering. He's not touching it, at least not with his hands, but he definitely helped himself. And that's what we'll do if we're not careful. We just go for the dessert. But if we just eat dessert only, we're not gonna be healthy, are we? The same is true when it comes to God's word. There's nothing wrong with the parts of God's word that we enjoy studying. But there are other parts that are a little more difficult, a little bit hard, harder for us to understand. But they're in there for a reason because God wants to lead us into all truth. See, that's why last week I quoted this verse in the book of Acts. Paul says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I believe we need to make sure that we are a church that is teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God. And when we do, there are gonna be parts of God's word that seem to go against what the culture says. It's gonna feel like at times that we're paddling upstream, that we're going against the current. But Jesus tells us to expect that. In fact, he says these words, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are a few who find it. So the whole point of this series is for us in a spirit of love and of grace to move closer to God's truth, even if that means we're paddling upstream. In a spirit of love and grace, we wanna find out what God wants us to know. And so this series isn't about my opinions or even the opinions of this church. It's about seeking God's wisdom together. And the first truth, the first 
important statement that I wanna make in this series is this. Every human life is valuable and precious to God. Now here's the thing, that sounds simple and good on the surface, but I think that truth is not always practiced in our culture today. See, God's word tells us that regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of your social background or economic background or cultural background, regardless of your physical abilities or limitations, every single life, human life matters to God because every single human life was created in his image. Listen to what God says in Genesis. It says, for God made human beings in his own image. Out of everything that God created, all of life that God created, the human race stands out. The human race is unique because we were the only part of his creation that was made specifically in his image. God created us in his image to be like him as his children. We're the only part of creation that gets that distinction, that gets that honor. And because we, the human race, are the crowning jewel of God's creation, his children, he wants to protect the sanctity of our lives, the sanctity of human life. That's why God says this, says the Lord detests hands that shed innocent blood. Now there are two primary worldviews that exist in our culture today. And the first view is what I like to call the biblical worldview. And the biblical view is this, every human being is created in the image of God. And because of that, God created us with purpose. There is meaning to our lives. He loves us, he cherishes us, he wants to do life with us. And even though we sinned against him, even though we rebelled against God, he loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to the cross so that he could get us back. We were worth that much to him. We were that precious in his eyes that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son in order to redeem us and have us as his own. That's the biblical worldview. But the other worldview, which some people might call the secular worldview, well, it removes God from the equation. It says basically we as human beings are just a bunch of accidents that happen randomly over time. And there's really no greater purpose to our lives besides survival of the fittest. That's all we can really do. So there is no absolute truth. All values, no matter who says them, are to be treated as equal. And really, there's no meaning to this thing. It's just survival of the fittest because we're just an accidental product of random events. One philosopher summarized that view this way. If there is no God, everything is permissible. And we are seeing that played out on a regular basis in our culture today. We mentioned it earlier in the service, but probably most of you like me were stunned and shocked and heartbroken 
at what happened this past week in Uvalde, Texas. It's unthinkable to me. And as a dad of grade school kids, I can't imagine getting that phone call. I can't imagine hearing about it on the news. It's heartbreaking. And then follow that up with what happened about a week before that in Buffalo, New York. 10 innocent people killed in a supermarket. And we hear stories like this all the time. And I think it's because we've devalued life in our culture today. And I know that people on both sides of the political aisle are going to be debating about what we should do and what we shouldn't do when it comes to laws and legislation. I get that. But I'm just here today to say, and I believe God wants me to say this, the long-term answer is not in laws and legislation. The long-term answer is Jesus Christ. And until our country seeks him, like we should, we will never understand the value of every life. See, Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What did Jesus say? God so loved the world, the entire world, not just part of the world, not just a select group within the world. God loved the entire world so much so that everyone who places faith in him, everyone who lives by faith in him, everyone who follows Jesus as Lord can receive and inherit salvation. God loves everyone, every single life life matters to him because there isn't a life out there that Jesus didn't die for. And if we believe that, then we got to live that out. We got to demonstrate that. Listen to what Paul says. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another. He's talking about your love for the church. If you don't love your own church members, well, that's your first problem, okay? It starts there. So if you're a nitpicker about the people who you go to church with, you might want to look at your heart. But then look what, he, look what else he says. Your love for one another should increase and overflow and for all people. Not just those inside the church, but those who are different from you. Those who don't look like you. Those who disagree with you. Those who put up social media Facebooks that you don't like. You are to love everyone. Doesn't Jesus say, love your enemies? See, as the church, we love everyone, even when we disagree with them, because God first loved us. We love everyone because we know in God's eyes, every single life matters. And because every life matters to God, every life matters to us. So that's true, like I said earlier, when it comes to race or age or gender or your background, no matter what you've done in your past, we love everyone because everyone is someone created in God's image. And that includes a group of lives that I'm afraid is often forgotten about in our culture today, and that's the unborn. Now, I know when I use that term unborn, immediately some people get uncomfortable. And I just wanna let you know something about me. 
I am not someone who enjoys controversy. <laughs> I am not someone that enjoys preaching or teaching on controversial subjects. I don't, some preachers eat that up, they do. I mean, they love to get up and yell and scream and make everybody feel bad who disagrees with them, okay? That's not me. I don't enjoy that at all. I don't look forward to that, but I continue to preach on things that might be considered controversial to some because I believe that's what God has called me as his spokesperson to do. And if I don't do that, then I'm not living up to my calling and I'm not preaching the whole counsel of God. And here's the thing. Last fall, fall of 2021, we planned out the entire sermon series for 2022. And we made tweaks along the way, but we went and planned it all out. And we had planned at this point in our year to start this series upstream. And the first sermon in the series was gonna be on this very subject. That was last fall. We had no idea what was gonna be going on with the Supreme Court at this time in history. We had no idea what was gonna be happening in Texas and New York and other places like that. We had no idea. And anytime something like that happens, it makes me pause and I stop and think, maybe that's a God thing. So let's take a moment to talk about what God says about the unborn because here's the thing. I'm not here to get political today and I'm not going to get political today. I'm not here to state my opinion today. Not gonna do it. I am here just to seek the wisdom of God and to hear what he has to say because I believe when we block out all the other voices and just listen to him, he will tell us what we need to know. So what does God say about the unborn? Well, let's look at one passage. It's found in the book of Psalms. David, King David, a man after God's own heart, writes these words. This is actually a prayer that he's lifting up. He's saying this to God and listen to what David says. You, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. So before we read any other passage of scripture, what is David telling us here? It's simple. God creates us in the womb. God sees us when we're in the womb. He has a purpose for us to live out while we're still in the womb. He crafts us, he makes us, he creates us in the womb. And it says that we are precious to him before we are even born. And the thing is, if you were to just do a search, you know, go to biblegateway.com and type in the word womb, you would see there are tons of scriptures where different men of God talk about how God knew them before they were born whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or even Paul. There are tons of scriptures that talk about how God knew them and called them even while they were in the womb before their mother gave birth to them. There are tons of passages that say this exact same thing, but I wanna look at a couple other scriptures that also back up this truth that we're talking about. 
This past Christmas, I preached on the passage when Mary, when she found out she was gonna be pregnant with Jesus, she came to talk to her family member, Elizabeth, remember that? And when she went to talk to Elizabeth, her cousin, Elizabeth makes a statement to Mary. And this is what Elizabeth says. Elizabeth says, when I heard your greeting, the baby, she's pregnant right now, Elizabeth is with John the Baptist. The baby in my womb jumped for joy. Now that's a beautiful picture, it's really cool, but there are a couple important things that we need to look at. The first is this word baby that's used in the Bible. It's the same word that's used for a baby outside of the womb. It's the same word that's used for an infant. It's the same word. It's used for a child in the womb or out of the womb. But then the other thing here is it talks about how the baby jumped or leaped, some translations say, for joy. That's a human emotion, right? Jump for joy. It's a human emotion that John the Baptist is already experiencing while he's in his mother's womb. I think that's interesting. And one more passage that I just want to bring up comes from the book of Job. And Job says, for God created both me and my servants. He created us both where? In the womb. What's God telling us in all these texts, all these passages? Well, Birth doesn't create life. Birth manifests life that has already been created by God. Let me say that again, because I think that's an important truth, and you're not gonna hear that on the news or anywhere else, probably. Birth doesn't create life. Birth manifests life that has already been created by God. And here's the thing, science backs up what the Word of God says. I mean, we're told that at the time of fertilization, all 46 chromosomes of a baby are present and their gender is already decided at that moment. Move on a little bit further. At four weeks, the digestive system is forming. Five weeks, the brain and spinal cord are forming. Six to seven weeks, the heart is developing and beating. Nine to 10 weeks, all bodily organs are formed. Movement is actively taking place. This is all within the first two and a half months of a baby being conceived. See, there's a reason why studies show us that 84% of women who consider having an abortion decide not to have one after they see their first ultrasound. 84%. It's because they know what they're looking at. They're looking at life. Now here's the thing. I know that everything I just now said makes some people feel really, really uncomfortable, and I get that. Because this is a politically charged issue. And right now some of you may be on your phones getting ready to send me an email, and I, <laughs> I get that. But just hear me out for a second. Because I'm tempted not to preach on this. I mean, you may not know this about me, but I'm somebody I like to be liked. I mean, I really do. And I think most of us probably do. I think it's part of our human nature. We want to be liked. And so it's tempting just to skip over this. Some churches do. Some churches will never talk about this issue. Some Christians don't want to talk about this issue. So it's tempting just to do that. It's tempting to be like the politician in that old joke. You may have heard it. You know, he was being interviewed, this politician, by a local newspaper. And they said, how do you stand on this very important divisive issue? And the politician said, well, 
I've got friends on this side of the issue and they believe this, this, and this. And then I've got friends on the other side of the issue and they believe this, this, and this. And I'm here today to declare I stand with my friends. So, I mean, that's what I'm tempted to do, you know? Just stay in the middle. Don't talk about anything controversial. But that's the cowardly way out. And not only that, it's ignoring the whole counsel of God. So, like I said, I'm not here to get political, I'm not here to um, state my opinion, but I believe what I'm here to do, what God wants me to do, is to state the view that he wants us to take from scripture. See, there are two terms that are thrown out a whole lot, pro-life and pro-choice, you've heard them. And really, what these two sides are claiming is that one is pro-baby and the other one is pro-women. And what they want us to do is they want us to choose you know, a side and say, you have to be either pro-baby or pro-women. And I think that's unfair. Because when you study scripture, at least when I do, what I see is that Jesus is both pro-baby and pro-women. He's both. He, he believes that every life is valuable. He's pro-baby. He's pro-women. Throughout his life in ministry, he elevated the status of children. He elevated the status of women in a world that often saw children and women as second class. Sometimes they weren't even considered real human beings. They were just considered property. Jesus elevated their status over and over again. Remember the time when the little children wanted to come and see Jesus and his own disciples said, no, he doesn't have time for you. Why? Because children were considered just property until they reached a certain age. They weren't considered real human beings yet. And Jesus said, no, they are valuable to me. And what about women? Over and over again, Jesus stopped in order to notice and pay attention and help and support women who everybody else was ignoring. I think about that passage in John chapter eight, when the, the male leadership of the day brings this woman and throws her at the feet of Jesus as this woman was caught having an affair. This woman was caught in the act of adultery and we want to stone her. We want to kill her because that's what the law says to do. Now, mind you, they didn't bring the man in because they thought she was a life that could just be thrown away. And what does Jesus say? You remember how Jesus responded? Jesus says, if you've, Never sinned, then you can throw the first stone. And they all walked away. And then he turns to the woman and he says, has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see what's going on here? That's a statement of both grace and truth. He leads with grace. This woman had done something wrong. She had had an affair, but he leads with grace and he says, I don't condemn you either. But then he lands with truth and he says, now go and leave that life of sin. What you just did doesn't have to define you anymore. Your life is still valuable in God's sight and you can experience his grace. And I believe in every issue, that's how we are to be. We, we lead with grace. And we land with truth. And so what would that look like played out today? When it comes to this topic that we're discussing now, I once heard a sermon by one of my friends who said, what if Jesus showed up at a modern day abortion clinic? Where would he be? Would he be at the entrance or would he be at the exit of this abortion clinic? And I think honestly, he would be at both, depending on the circumstance, depending on the woman. Because I think Jesus would be at the entrance 
And I don't think he would be there protesting. I don't think he'd be there yelling and screaming and cursing at people or anything like that, threatening people. He would not be doing that. No, I think Jesus would be at the entrance and he would be meeting every single life that walked through the door. And he would be saying this. He would be saying, I love you. You don't have to carry this burden alone. Let me help you. And he would let them know how valuable their life is and how valuable the life of the baby that they're carrying is. But then I think Jesus would also be at the exit as well. Because he knows that some are going to go ahead and go through with abortions. And after, and after they do, he would be ready to meet them as well. Not to yell at them, not to scream at them, not to point the finger or throw any stones. But to tell them this, I love you. You don't have to carry this burden alone. Let me help you. He would say, you don't have to be defined by what you just did. And the ongoing pain and grief that you may experience because of what just happened, you don't have to carry that alone. I still love you, I still have a purpose for your life. And so let me just say, from my heart to yours today, I know that in this room, I know that online, I know that there are people who are listening to this message who have been through an abortion in the past. And let me just say, without a doubt, you are loved, you are loved by God, you are loved by me and the leadership of this church, and you are loved by our first church family. Don't ever doubt that. And here's the thing, you've either already been given God's grace because you're already his follower and you've already turned to him or he's ready to give you his grace. So either you've already received it because you've turned all that over to him or he's ready to give it to you right now if that's what you need. See, the church isn't a pristine showroom. It's a messy living room and we all, myself included, bring our mess to the living room. And I don't know what your experience has been at past churches, but we're not here to throw rocks. We're not here to point fingers. We're not here to judge. We're here to simply point people to Jesus. And we want our church, First Church, to be a place of help, of hope, and of healing. So if you've never experienced a church family like that, Welcome, and we're glad you're here. But I also know that there may be some people listening to this message today who are pregnant right now, and they don't know what to do. And there may be some that get in that situation down the road. And I just wanna let you know this. You may have an unwanted pregnancy, but you don't have an unwanted baby. Our church is here to come alongside you. And even if you feel like you can't raise that baby on your own, let me tell you something, there are families in this church that will provide a home where your baby will be loved and cared for. We will help you in this journey. We're people that put our money where our mouth is, and we mean that. And today, if you're in that situation, 
come and personally talk to me. I'll be down front after the sermon or if you wanna call me this week or come see me this week, come talk to me personally. We're here to help you out and to show you that we love you. You don't have to carry this burden alone. And we're here to help. And we want to let everyone know that we're a church that believes and follows what the Bible says when it says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That's why years ago, some members of our church helped start the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Owasso. And since its formation, the PRC has impacted and saved hundreds if not thousands of lives. And I want you to meet this morning, Amber. She's a member of our church and she has volunteered over the years at the PRC. And I just thought you might wanna hear from her. Take a look at this. When we moved here, I got connected with the, the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Owasso and I started volunteering there. And um, as a mentor, I really tried to just love on the girls in the season that they were in and give them support that they might not be getting. You know, a lot of times they would come in before they'd ever told their family. We would be their first line of defense. They'd come in, they'd come see us, get the pregnancy test, and then go, oh, what do I do? We always were willing to have them bring their parents in, and a lot of times we did. We were there with them when they told their family. Um, when I started volunteering, my kids were five and eight, but as the years progressed and my daughter became the age that a lot of these girls were that I was seeing, it gave a very different perspective um, as a mentor to what they might be experiencing, what their parents might be going through, and I could, you know, relate that to them. Yes, your mom and dad may be upset, but give them a minute. Let them, let them work through this. Give them a few seconds to process what you've just told them. And, and we really offered abortion counseling, which goes into not just what happens if you get an abortion, but what happens after you get an abortion. The long-term effects that they don't talk about. Um, you're never gonna forget this child and the trauma that that um, creates is something that is kind of pushed under the rug. A lot of times we did ultrasounds early. At six weeks, you can see the heartbeat, um, but it doesn't look like a baby. So uh, they would always be amazed, you know, they're watching the screen and then you see this flicker and this flicker comes on and then you look back at them and they've kind of got a flicker in their eyes of like, oh my gosh, that's not just a mass of cells. There is a heart that's beating. Every once in a while, we'd get a couple that was a little bit later, maybe 10 weeks along. And by 10 weeks, I always said it looked like a little teddy bear. You had this little belly and these little arms and legs. And when the baby starts moving and they feel it growing, and so about that mid 20 week, 21 week mark, um, and they get that big ultrasound where they can see the baby fully formed. And um, that's when they're like, wow, I can't believe I ever thought this wasn't a human, that this wasn't a real live breathing baby. I love that moment when she said the parents see the flicker of the heartbeat. I remember my first child when we saw that flicker and that moment, it just hit me. I'm a dad, like I knew it up here, but it hit me here when I saw that little beating heart. Guys, God saw you before you were ever born. He saw me before I was ever born. And he considered us precious in his sight. 
And so that's why here at First Church, we teach that every human life is valuable and precious to God. That's true when it comes to the unborn because the Bible also tells us that we are to speak, that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. But it's also true in every other area of life. We are to be a demonstration to the world that every life matters. Regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of someone's background, their past, regardless of their mistakes, regardless of their physical abilities or limitations, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb. We believe every life matters to God and so every life matters to us. And I believe, and I hope you do as well, that our world needs to be reminded of that, that we need to show the world that they're not a bunch of accidents, but that they are the crowning jewel of God's creation and that every single person was created by him in his image. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had today to dive into your word. And Father, you know how sensitive this subject is. And like I said, my job here today was simply was to seek your wisdom. And I pray that that's been done. And Father, I just pray that if there is anybody in the room who is hurting or struggling because of anything that I talked about today, let them know our church loves them and our church is here for them. And we wanna be a place of healing, of hope, and of help. So may they allow for our church to rally around them and show them what you want them to see. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.